Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the 2019 Formula One season and ask if Ferrari can really do it. first race of the 2019 Formula 1 season is just around the corner. Ferrari heads to Melbourne as favourite after starring in testing, but Mercedes and Red Bull aren't far behind. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to eight months of action and intrigue, first is Scott Mitchell, unusually rocking some kind of floral shirt today. Yeah, do you like it? I thought it was a shirt, you know, that would work well on a podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good, for the, good for the readers. Loud. I suppose how I would describe it. It's blue, but with a kind of other lighter blue outline of flowers yeah that's probably a fair description i mean what you we look need, like wallpaper we, thank you mate but we need uh, jake voxel leg or jake voxel egg as uh, one autosport plus subscriber likes to call him uh, here to technically analyze the design of the of the shirt i think that would probably give us a little bit more detail is it an in-washer or an outwash shirt uh i well i wash it in a washing machine do you outwash or inwash it I mean, I wash it inside the washing machine, so presumably it's an in-wash shirt. It's a very aerodynamically inefficient shirt. It, it, it's quite baggy. It's meant to be slim fit, but I obviously underestimated, like, I guess, my own size. You need to know. work on your packaging. 
Yeah, there, there's yeah. Adrian knew would be furious at this shirt. It's uh, it's quite loose, isn't it? Not gone too aggressive here. No you, scuffing on this you shirt. You wouldn't get caught by a gust of wind. No, I would. Uh, I'd, I'd balloon up, balloon up by one of the like, one of those uh, one of those massive. What, what's what are those fish called? The ones that uh, blowfish. Is it a blowfish? That inflates. Yeah, yeah. And it basically, turns into basically a massive blowfish. beach ball. That's me walking down the street with a little bit of wind. An enduring image for listeners of the podcast to uh, to cast. Well, let's move on to our other guest, which is Ben Anderson, architect of the F1 Racing Magazine season preview. Hello. Currently available. I can see you're brandishing a copy there. Sebastian Vettel yep, on the cover. The, for the listeners. Yeah, exactly. A good visual aid there. <laughs> well, yes. I, I've, I've served you up a, a perfect delivery for, a, for you to hit to the boundary for six by way of plug. Yes, uh, the F1 Racing season preview. 140 pages, bumper issue. Um, yeah, Many uh, driver interviews, behind the scenes, exclusive photo shoots, uh, analysis of the, the title battle to come, we expect. Uh, can Sebastian Vettel cement his Ferrari legacy and follow in the footsteps of his hero Michael Schumacher by winning a title in his fifth season? Or will he follow the path of his predecessor Fernando Alonso and succumb to the pressures of and disappointments of repeated failure? Well, there we go. That's what you can find out in F1 Racing magazine. Exciting times. Are out now. Ba- are you just basically going to like open that mag and just read out the feature as one of your answers to one of Ed's questions? I, I think that would be commercially uh, immature. I think it would also be boring. Audiobook version. Depends on my uh, delivery. Uh, yeah, I reckon, because obviously I should emphasise, uh, not, that's not to say I think that the feature in the magazine itself is boring. Why, thank you. I just think, uh, I struggle with audiobooks. You're an audiobook fan, aren't you, Ed? I like audiobooks. They're good for when you're uh, sat on a plane you can't see anymore because you've been doing too much writing or driving around the place. Fair audiobooks enough. have their place. Yeah, fair enough. the normal books. But not here on the podcast, where we uh, talk about things off the top of our heads rather than from the page. Correct? Yes, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were setting up for some... No, not at all. Witticism. I'm, not, I'm not funny enough to do that. No, I'd have to get Stuart Codling in for su- such comments. Shall we Shall we talk about Formula One? We can give it a go. Let's see. Well, Ben, um, pre-season testing, Ferrari had the initiative. So are you of the prevailing opinion that Ferrari is favourite? I would say heading to Melbourne, yes. Um, I don't know if they're favourite for the championship. Uh, a lot will depend on how they and Mercedes primarily, maybe also Red Bull Honda, let's not completely rule them out at this stage, uh, develop their cars through the season. Obviously, the rules have changed uh, for this season, primarily around the front wings, um, attempts to improve cars' ability to follow uh, and by taking downforce away, essentially, um, reduce complexity on the front wings. That's cost teams a lot, and obviously the better better funded teams have spent a lot of time working to recover that. We've seen some differences in approach. Um, it looks like Ferrari has the fastest car based on pre-season testing by two, three, four tenths, depending on who you speak to and how you calculate it. So they have an edge, certainly, and that's unusual probably at this stage of a season. Normally it's Mercedes who win the phony war of winter testing. Um, but the big but, I think, is Ferrari's development rate. We saw last season they had a, a car that was capable of winning the championship, maybe without some mistakes they would have anyway, but as the season wore on, particularly in the second half, they ran aground in terms of developments, put some things on the car that didn't work and had to come back. Mercedes, we've seen consistently and relentlessly develop their cars correctly through a season. Uh, and so even if they start, 
as I say, two to four tenths behind Ferrari, they would be favourites to win the development war and potentially catch up or surpass their rivals as the season progresses. Especially as obviously last season we saw that Ferrari did seem to start the season with the faster car. And yes. I know you said obviously they start they, they had a position they had a car that put them in a position to win races and, and, and fight for the championship for most of the year, but they never really it didn't really feel like they ever really uh like maximized built, yeah it. they didn't feel like they were really built on that early momentum and no and, it, and and it was close wasn't it you know they had the faster car in certain places certain tracks or certain sessions but it was a real ebb and flow fight between ferrari and mercedes whereas i get the feeling going into this season ferrari has actually a definitive edge not a big one but a pure pace advantage that maybe wasn't so apparent at the start of last season we should note that no yeah no point last season did ferrari have a three tenths of a second edge which is roundabout where it looks like from testing they may have if that's the case in in melbourne well i'm curious to see if uh what we saw mercedes introduce in week two of testing gives it melbourne that, clothes yeah gives it this and gives it the scope to sort of develop and develop quickly i i was quite interested and i may have read way too much into this but i was very interested by the video that mercedes put out a couple of days ago where james allison the technical director talked through the differences between last year's car and this year's car and it's clearly done before pre-season testing because what what James says is that this this launch car will go to to Barcelona and do testing and then it will get a new set of clothes for Australia. But that didn't happen. That launch car didn't do the two weeks of testing. It did the first week and then they had this major error upgrade for week two. And it could well be that that was just a slip of the tongue from James and what he meant is that this is the car that will go to start testing and at some point before Melbourne it will get those new clothes. But that isn't literally what he said. So I just wondered if that suggests... I'm not saying I don't subscribe to the view that a few people seem to think that Mercedes was capable of turning around an inc- a complete new error upgrade in between day one of the first test and day two of the second test. Cause we'll that, have two day, cars for the season. Yeah, sorry, yeah, exactly. Sorry, day one of the first test to day one one of the second test um it was obviously something that had been in the works for a long time i just wonder uh, and this is basically a speculation from what james was james allison said in the video is just did they have this plan to introduce that aero upgrade maybe a little bit later but the opportunity arose that they could run it at the second test and they felt it was better to get four days of on track understanding because that split of aero packages across two weeks of testing, I mean, you two will have a better understanding of this than me. What I didn't quite get from that is you're basically sort of, you're neither here nor there with what you're doing because you do the first four days with a package that you're not then not going to race with, but you've also got you've got less of an understanding of the base of your package because you've just introduced an upgrade four days earlier than maybe you planned. So I just wondered if that was... A negative in any way or if that was actually just Mercedes getting extra track time with an aero package they're actually going to race with? I think perhaps the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, certainly they had the Melbourne spec or Test 2 aero package in the works much earlier than before the first test. It wasn't rushed out but I imagine that they perhaps found some flaw with their original package in advance of the first test. We saw that it didn't work out as well as probably they hoped on track, had handling problems, etc. Perhaps they found indication of some of these problems in advance of pre-season testing, decided to accelerate their second aero package, knowing that they needed to do some work to fix some of those problems, but weren't able to do that work in time for the first test, so therefore rolled that out for the second test knowing also they need to solve problems it's not a case of just bolting on up- upgrades that work on a basic package you know is sorted 
Well, the air upgrade was so big for the second test, it's very disconnected from the first test package. So Some people just called it a B-spec car, yeah, didn't well, they? Well, so I think if they could have started with that spec, they, they certainly would have done. But So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and Maybe could, at the time Alison was talking, he was expecting the baseline package to be stronger than it was, or perhaps the indications of some of the problems that manifested themselves at the first test weren't so clear. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. It means there could be more potential for Mercedes to to extract from the car because they've only had half the half the running time. And last year we had this fantastic development war between the two, and I think it's going to be the same again this year, even if Mercedes does as expected, but might not be the case. Start behind. I mean, we've talked a lot about the cars during our testing podcasts, so let's let's look at the the driver situation. This basically means that we're saying Sebastian Vettel is therefore favourite for Melbourne. I think then, so. Then, of course, you've got the additional question of what can Charles Leclerc do in the second Ferrari? And then can Lewis Hamilton, as he did last season, be close enough to be in a position where he could make, make the difference? Well, let's not forget that I, I, I think the last two years, haven't we gone to Australia with uh, Mercedes having a clear edge on, on Friday in Melbourne and, and Ferrari have won both times, right? Yeah, although last year that was purely down to the Mercedes era. Yeah, but my my my, my my point there is is more that Melbourne's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a unique race. It's, um, it's unusual track, certainly. Unusual yeah. track. Um, it's not always the most exciting, but we have had a few examples in not too uh, not too distant seasons where weather mixes things up or it's a bit unpredictable the track catches people out the weather certainly although it doesn't tend to mix up the prevailing competitive order generally i think that you order distort, the, it can the distort order, gaps. it can distort the gaps yeah, i was going to get to that point so it, it tends to if anything extend the gaps between cars or teams that we see in testing but usually the order at the end of pre-season as we would you know calculate it tends to be represented by in normal conditions in melbourne i reckon that if they are behind Mercedes and it looks like they are I suspect the team and Lewis Hamilton will be fairly pleased to be going to Melbourne first with that gap possibly being in place because I suspect they've got a better chance of sort of just limiting the damage to Ferrari that they might suffer at the start of the year in Australia than for example Bahrain or or China where Ferrari does has seemed to be the better car over the last certainly last season it was as well so if they do have an advantage I would expect them more to ram it home there than necessarily in Australia where the Mercedes has been quicker the last couple of years and for whatever reason hasn't been able to turn that into an early victory. I think the the interesting thing is what what will Hamilton's mindset be? Does he think he's got a chance of you know, if there is a if there is a three tenth gap, that should mean Ferrari has the front row. So we're thinking, can he split them? Can he get in amongst them? Can he be quick enough in the race to be an issue? It's interesting to look at that mindset because what we know of Hamilton, he won't be happy just to sort of say, "Well, we'll finish, we'll finish third because we're we're second fastest." So it, it kind of sets the framework for the, the championship. If you're Hamilton, you'd want to give Vettel a bit of a headache straight away to try and avoid. Vettel settling into the season and completely putting all the problems of last year behind him. I think he'd also be disappointed if if, he, if they go there and, and Ferrari do have the advantage. I think he'd be disappointed not to split them. I think you would see, and everyone thinks Leclerc is brilliant and I'm personally expecting him to hit the ground running. But I do think if you are Hamilton, if you're in the Mercedes, I think you see if there's any low-hanging fruit to snatch from Ferrari there, it's going to be the rookie, isn't it, on his first start, maybe being a bit conservative in qualifying or at some point in the race. So. Especially early on, yeah. And and also when you consider, as both of you have discussed multiple times, the clerk's 
qualifying weakness, shall we say, the apparent inability to get it done in, in Q3, the times he did make it through when it really mattered. We've seen him go very quickly in testing and be very close to Vettel's pace, but that's with hundreds of laps pounding round and round and round in the same car and the same conditions. When it comes down to doing one lap on the tyres on a random street circuit, uh, when the pressure's really on, the spotlight's really on you because you're in one of the you know two best cars in the grid. It's very different, isn't it? And although Leclerc will, I'm sure, get his head around it, as you say, Scott, I don't necessarily expect him to be absolutely on point from race one. How about Vettel himself? We've talked a lot about the different environment at, at Ferrari with Maurizio Rivabene leaving and Matthew Bonotto now the the team principal. Are we expecting to see the, the old Vettel, if you like, because the mistakes yes. we saw from him last year were were more than you would expect, weren't they? Yeah, I think we'll see Vettel come out stronger. Um, I went to one of his uh, media sessions on the second week of testing um, and he he looked like a very happy guy. Um as opposed to the sort of furrowed brow that we saw a lot last season. Um, and obviously there's a certain element of it being a new year and, you know, um, fresh hope and all of that. But um, we know that Vettel is quite an emotional guy, responds very well to a positive environment around him. There were signs under Arriva Bene that he was drifting in his focus towards external matters not relevant to the specifics of the car and the race weekends because he was concerned that perhaps things weren't going quite so well in Maranello. But I get the sense, I don't know how you feel about this, Scott, that he's got a lot more faith in Mattia Bonotto and so does the Ferrari team and that will only have a positive effect on Vettel, who we know is a phenomenal qualifier, even when he's a bit distracted or a bit unhappy, as he was at times last year. But when all is, all is right in his world, he can be absolutely devastating. And of course, even though these front wings have been revised and the cars should be able to overtake, in theory, better, still starting on pole position is the biggest advantage you can gain in Formula 1. And Vettel is one of the most emotional drivers in F1 at the moment, if not the most emotionally susceptible driver on the grid. And emotion is... In my opinion, emotion is the single biggest performance differentiator from driver to driver. If one is in the right place, uh, calm and collected and correctly motivated, they they can operate right at the limit of their ability, if not just a fraction below. If someone is unsettled, if someone's unhappy about something, if someone's distracted, whatever, like it can be can be really small things. Even that's why people take things like making sure that you've got the right nutrition. And that you've eaten correctly because small amounts of hunger and stuff like that, you don't need the, the differences between these guys now is so small that you can't afford to be to be off your game. And, and Hamilton's put a lot of effort into that, hasn't he? You know, since converting to a vegetarian and now in stand vegan diet, he says that he's the best he's ever felt. He's done things in terms of his training that have gone a bit off grid, doing things his own way. And we've seen certainly in the last two seasons, the environment that Mercedes created around Hamilton and the way he's been allowed to express himself and do things his own way has made him that much stronger. And of course, Vettel needs to respond in kind, really, and access that part of his potential that's been undermined, shall we say, by a a less than perfect working environment. I think that what we'll see with uh, the Vettel-Bonotto dynamic at Ferrari, we will have a lot, I think it'll be a lot more like that arm around the shoulder wolf hamilton dynamic that exists at mercedes and that for for lewis that is absolutely the best way 
that's how you get the best out of him and I think it's the same for Vettel as well because of that emotional thing if some if someone like Hamilton looks at sort of oh, what am I doing with am I eating enough am I sleeping enough if that is correctly considered to be a, a massive element of your performance then absolutely getting on with your team boss feeling like your team boss has the right has the interest of the team at heart and is doing things correctly is and gonna has your back and has your back it's going to have a massive difference especially as it's already manifested itself at the start of this year with Benotto not saying that Leclerc has to be caged in the first few races of the season but making it really clear from the get-go that Vettel is Ferrari's point of reference in a championship fight so Vettel now goes into this season knowing that all of the pussyfooting around that's been done in recent years over team orders isn't going to be a factor he knows that if he is establishing himself early on as the number one driver that Ferrari Ferrari will respect that and they will they will deal with any situations that arise with Leclerc appropriately in that manner and that is something that even though Vettel's had this performance advantage over Raikkonen for four seasons they were together they still were really indecisive over it and I just I just think everything is now in place for Vettel to go into the a season knowing absolutely without a shadow of a doubt that he has effectively what he had around him at Red Bull when he was so good and therefore it's game on in the title race isn't it yeah absolutely one thing we haven't mentioned though is there's four drivers in the top two teams you haven't mentioned Valtteri Bottas or Evil Bottas as you evil call Bottas him now with, with, his, his beard. with his new trim the beard did you notice yeah it's, it's less evil two of testing. How, how did you feel about that I felt I felt it made him look less evil and and threatening, actually. Yeah, I'm worried. Mate. Hamilton said week one of preseason testing that the the main thing he'd noticed that was different about different about Valtteri this year was his beard, and the second thing was that he expected <laughs> him to be more aggressive. I wonder if he's changed his mind and thinks he'll be less aggressive now he's seen that it's now just sort of like light stubble, isn't it? Well, that's a good question. Isn't I it? wondered but if he would just keep growing it until he won a race. Do <laughs> <laughs> a reverse. It's always sort of John Watson, isn't it? He shaved off his beard when he won his first race for, for Penske. Yeah, there we go. Uh, nice up to date anecdote there, but. <laughs> but Bottas, I think, I get the feeling that the prevailing opinion is amongst people is that Bottas is is kind of a dead man walking at, at Mercedes in terms of his drive there. But he is the man in possession. We know what he can do when things are going well. So if I was Bottas, I'd be going into the season thinking, well, it's annoying, I've got to prove myself again, but go in, do the job, prove that you have to stay at Mercedes. Because one thing's for sure, they won't get rid of a driver for Esteban Ocon or whoever if they're doing the job. Well... They proved that last year, didn't they? I know Bottas' season tailed off again, but the early part of the season, he was strong. He was unlucky not to win. He could have been leading the championship at various points, and they, they offered him renewed terms on that basis. He couldn't get rid of a guy who's performing. But it's a massive season for Bottas, isn't it? He did tail off. Again, Hamilton did that thing where he kicks on in the second half of the year when the car gets better, and Bottas just can't find a way to go with him. He ended up being manifestly the number two driver and having to get out of Hamilton's way to help his title bid that's not a position Bottas wants to be in Ocon is lurking now having lost that driver the team formerly known as Force India now known as Racing Point Sporty P's Racing Point I'm getting on top of that Sporty P's he'll be helpfully in the Mercedes garage as well Yeah, looming over Bottas looking at all of his data saying oh I could do that better it's one of those classic things isn't it you're never better in sport than when you're out of the team as it were is it so Ocon can't do anything to make his case weaker nothing apart from annoying people (laughs) yeah there's nothing he can do that can prove him wrong just running around the garage shaking Toto Wolf demanding a drive demanding the drive give me a drive give me a drive uh, so Bottas is kind of caught between two stools, isn't he? And you've written about this, Ed. He either redoubles his efforts again, tries to find the magic formula to take on Hamilton at his own game and become a proper title challenger in his own right, which as an individual you might expect now, this is his 
third season. Third season. Mercedes, Mercedes, third yeah. season. So he can't. He doesn't have the excuses of being new or not having the car set to his liking in terms of controls and understanding the people, etc. It's his seventh season in Formula One, isn't it? Yeah, he's an experienced driver. He's a race winner. All of these things. But as you've said, he might get more out of himself if he accepts that Hamilton is the better driver, has what might be termed his DC moment from Coulthard's time at McLaren with Hakkinen and just works on being the best that he can be within that environment, getting as close as he possibly can to Hamilton and therefore maximising Mercedes' points in the Constructors' Championship. And, th- and then you might find actually by doing that, if he gets himself to a good level, then you can start thinking again about, well, maybe next year I redefine that. But, yes, because it's a baby but, step in the right direction exactly, and his yeah. overall level is higher, but it could go either way. I mean, you know, he could come out of the blocks absolutely swinging and, and get one over on Hamilton, especially if the car isn't quite as good as hoped and if some of those rear tyre problems manifest themselves again but it's not the first half of the season that's the key for Bottas really it's sustaining what have been strong starts in the last couple of years right through to the final race in Abu Dhabi. Well I was going to say that if Mercedes starts the year slightly behind Ferrari that could be Bottas's opportunity to build a bit of momentum against Hamilton because I think over the two years we've seen them together Bottas has been very, very good at, at getting the most out of the car on a weekend where Hamilton struggles. I think like last year, one example I think was Canada, where Bottas was actually really good last year and, and ran Vettel quite quite close. Um, it, well, a lot closer than Hamilton did. Who how, that was? I think that was probably Lewis's only real anonymous weekend last season. Well, Bottas has definitely been better in the lower downforce spec and on the slipperier tracks and the smoother surfaces. I mean, he was used to driving for Williams, who, as we've seen in recent seasons particularly, struggle to produce downforce on their cars, whereas Hamilton has, has been more blessed in that sense. So Bottas himself would say that that is potentially one reason why he's he's gone better on the tracks where there's a bit less grip available. But And he's been close to Hamilton in the wet as well, hasn't he? When you take you know dry conditions out of it completely, he's been very close to him at times, not maybe sustained, but he's been able to lap pretty close to him in some qualifying sessions but it's when the car's at his strongest and the grip's going up and you've got to find a way of accessing that and dancing on absolutely the fine edge of grip he just can't quite get there it is absolute crunch time for Bottas ultimately at Mercedes and if he can he can start the season effectively the way he did last year um I I can't imagine lightning striking twice and him suffering the bizarre set of circumstances that dogged the first few races of his season in 2018, he's got a good chance. The, 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 the key thing for him will be, if Mercedes does have victory opportunities early on, I think given he went winless last year in a season in which Lewis matched his personal best haul in the face of more competition than ever, Bottas has to get an early win. Otherwise, as we saw last year, he gets into that mental spiral. The team will have to put itself behind Hamilton and the title bid if that goes that way because if Ferrari's doing that with Vettel they they won't be able to afford to, to lose yeah, ground early on. Yeah. Exactly. So I think I, I the, think other, the other thing for Bottas is Leclerc as well. Um because the second Ferrari if if you like recently has been let's say a bit more of an easy target for the second Mercedes driver. You know, Bottas would have felt more confident being able to pick off Raikkonen in the battle of Mercedes versus Ferrari than potentially he would feel about Leclerc if we expect Leclerc to be 
closer than Raikkonen was to Vettel, he'll be closer to Hamilton, and therefore the gap that Bottas can slot himself into if he's behind Hamilton is much smaller than it was. Well, to, to successfully be the, the second driver, he needs to be covering off the, the second driver in the other team, which in fact he didn't do points-wise compared to Raikkonen last no. season. So, yeah, it's 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 a big season. And if uh, Mercedes hadn't made their decision to retain Bottas as early as they did, that might have counted massively against yeah, him, actually. It, it is going to be interesting to see when Mercedes make that decision, actually, because they can't wait forever, can they? So they, they, they will want to make a decision in the first half of the season. But history suggests you might want to wait a little bit a little bit longer. Especially as if they've got Ocon waiting in the wings, someone who is known to the team, they know what his requirements are. He's almost certainly not going to be going anywhere uh, any, anywhere else until Mercedes says he can. So unless there's some kind of clause in their contract with Ocon that they release him by a certain time if they haven't confirmed him as a race driver, they they can probably afford to wait later than they have done in the last couple of years, do you think? Potentially, but then it comes down to a question of can Bottas wait that long? Well, his management start looking at other op- alternatives. They see which way the wind's blowing. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of an open-ended question. But the best way, the best thing that Bottas can do is start the season really strongly, pick up some wins, and really do the job. That that's that's what matters. Performance is uh, is is what counts. It's a results business, isn't it? Uh, well, that's enough for part one. We will be back with part two to have a look at Red Bull and Honda. Well, it's not just Formula One World Championship that kicks off this week. Early on Wednesday morning in Melbourne, I oversaw the debut of the Autosport team in IGP Manager, the multiplayer online Grand Prix management game available for iOS and Android on mobile and via internet browsers. As part of our partnership with IGP, there is a special league in which the Autosport team is one of 16 participants. This was a long-awaited debut of the team. I like how you've referred to us as participants because I wouldn't. we, we were definitely more participating in that race rather than competing based on what I could see. Yes, it was a uh, a difficult debut, I'll, I'll be honest. The car was was undercooked. It reminded me a little bit of those times when HRT turned up in Australia and the car wasn't quite quite bolted together. Was Karen together. Chandock driving for you? Sadly not. I think we'd have probably, uh, we'd have probably done better with a uh, friend of the podcast, Karen Chandock. And I'm just looking at it, qualifying with 16th. Out of 16, not bad. 16th almost last. 16th out of 16, yeah. Almost three tenths off the back, which wasn't ideal. Although I did qualify on mediums, which isn't necessarily the ideal ideal strategy my task strategy wasn't great and then yeah in the race we finished uh, a minute down and uh, yeah the next place car was only 26 seconds down so it oh that's terrible I mean it was a combination of uncompetitive car and, and poor strategy and management I, I opted for a two-stopper a, I went I went medium medium super soft that's a the, miserable combination uh, ex- like of exactly. everything everything absolutely well, I mean the one one saving grace for that I think is um I, I always hate it when games whether it's simulation games or like games where you're in, in control of a car or, or or whatever, when they're too easy. I always find that really, really boring. Something that requires a little bit of strategic intelligence, something that's a bit of a project, is always a little bit more fun. No, exactly. And there's, uh, there's also, I'm going to sound like a team boss now, but we've because we ran an online poll for what we should invest some of the team's funds in, and we've got a new design office being built. It's going to be a few more days before that's online, but hopefully that'll accelerate the update. Only a few more days. Yeah, it, obviously it's uh, it's adjusted timelines on this, which is good. So it, it obviously, if you were to simulate real Formula One teams, it's so glacial the progress. Uh, you'd, you'd have to play it for years. Now before I'm, you got I'm sat here now. I'm wondering why HRT isn't a re- still around and winning world championships if it's that easy to to turn everything around. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's. Uh, it, it's a good thing, so that should allow the upgrades to be to be better, and then you can choose which areas you you focus on with performance of the car. I think it's everywhere at the moment, but I think the pit wall can do a better job. You know, I can I can blame the technical team for not producing a particularly quick car, but if I'm running the strategy poorly, then 
I'm just as much to blame. It sounds to me like the more you improve the team, the more that your own personal shortcomings are going to be laid bare for everybody to see. Well, this is the question. It's going to, it's going to only be a matter of time before people ask, when am I going to get sacked? When's it time to resign? I'll make sure I'm in that media session. Yeah, I, I can very much expect it. Fortunately, fortunately there's no media uh, activities in, in IGP, which I think is a good thing. Some games have that sort of thing, but I've never found them particularly. I've found, always found them irritating, actually. I always like storming out in a stream of expletives on one particular game. A football manager football related manager. one, yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But no, but IGP manager, I mean, it is kind of the, I guess, the football manager of, uh, of of racing games. But basically, it is going to take time to get the team up to up to a good level. There seem to be fifteen pretty pretty good other teams in in that league. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to get a little bit little bit better uh, <laughs> what we're doing. But yeah, it's it's going to take uh, it's going to take quite a bit of time. So I'm going to be practicing the excuses I can give to people like yourself to say why things aren't quite working. But I think probably my debut race was kind of what we're expecting from Williams maybe they'll be a bit better than that but off the back I think autosports driver ratings for for for, what what are we are we team autosport is that I think we're just called autosport very imaginatively our driver is called autosport oh okay there we go I'm gonna gonna give him one out of ten for the weekend that's that's appalling or does he deserve a does autosport deserve a higher rating on the grounds that the car and the team were terrible and therefore he did well in the circumstances I don't think he's the best driver available, but the driver was not the problem here. Okay, so five out of ten then. Five out of ten seems seems reasonable. Yeah. Okay. I think the pit will one out of ten. Oof. Management north out of ten, but oh. we're going to get there. We're going to get there. There's a there's a race every week. We'll be keeping you updated on progress, and we will hold more votes on our Twitter account at Autosport for where we decide to focus our development, what we're going to build, etc., etc., etc. I'm sure there's going to be some big sponsorship deals we can do to get some more more resources into the team. But it's uh, yeah, it's going to be a long road. But I reckon we'll uh, we'll get more competitive as the season goes on. And I'm certainly hoping in the next race that uh, it's slightly more credible performance. Uh, so do download the app or head to igpmanager.com for more information, and we'll bring you more news of of my failure in team management in future podcasts. Well, let's move on to. Perhaps the dark horses for the season, or should we say the dark bulls? Red Bull Honda. It's got preseason testing did go pretty well uh, for this new alliance. you expect them to be in a title fight? Or is it going to be sniping for the odd win a bit like last year? Could it be worse even? What What do you expect from them? Uh, I, I do expect quite a lot from them. Then again, I expect quite a lot from you, and you just dropped that terrible dark bull uh, line. So I'm hoping that Rebel and Honda live up to my expectations better than you do, because that's disappointing. Well, your expectations were wrong, weren't they? So, uh, that's not my problem. Well, then, And are they wrong about Red Bull Honda? Well, here we go. I'm, evidently, my judgment is poor, so I'm the perfect person to talk about this. Uh, I would be amazed if Red Bull Honda is worse off than Red Bull Renault was last season. Red Bull tag higher, surely. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, but now, I, now that partnership's ended, we can mention Tag Heuer as if it's the engine supplier for the first time. Yeah. Which was, oh, I hate badging of engines like yeah, that. Yeah, it's terrible. I, so I do fancy A Honda. sign of how much they hated Renault, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that was the ultimate manifestation of that collapse, wasn't it? But I do that, fancy... That the big fine they had to play every time they criticised the engine. Which I think Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> fell into instantly. Really? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. They did their deal. Yeah, there was a there was a big financial penalty if they slated the engine. Hilarious. And I think Daniel Ricciardo gave an honest answer to a question. It's like having a swear jar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It needs to be a big swear a jar. Very for that expen- amount, yeah, yeah, a very expensive one. Yeah. yeah, not putting fifty pence pieces in. No. Um, so yeah, Rebel Honda. I would be surprised if they don't win a race in the first half of the season. Uh, my personal opinion is they will be absolutely gunning for Monaco. I think they'll plan their uh, engine strategy for the first half of the season around making sure they've got a fresh engine right off Baku yeah yeah well 
Baku's going to be important for, for Honda, actually, because last season, Baku was where they were massively found out on their energy deployment and energy management strategy. Mm. And, they, and fuel consumption is a problem. Exactly. And they, they claimed over the course of the year, when there were a few sort of similar races, that the lessons they'd learned in Baku, I remember at Spa, when Gasly nicked an unexpected top 10 result there, that was um, that was really important for, for Honda because um, they felt that they'd validated that. So I reckon they'll go to Baku and they'll want to show progress. But you're right, they won't be going there and thinking, right, this is our win shot. It'll, no. it'll be around Monaco. And given the fact that it looks like after pre-season testing, they've started certainly no worse off than Red Bull Renault at the start of 2018, I, they've got to be targeting that because Red Bull managed to win a race without an MG UK in Monaco last year with Renault Power. So that 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 will have to be the target i suspect that internally there'll be quite a bit of confidence that that's achievable as well they they're doing their best to sort of keep expectations in check inside both renault and honda but it was impossible to ignore the positivity in pre-season testing i spoke with uh, i spoke with honda i spoke with max verstappen i spoke with the toro rosso technical team who obviously are now in their second year working with honda and everything is it's it's not just positivity for positivity's sake as well. There, there's so much detail and and reality that is all grounded in. And I remember you, Ben. You didn't you bump into Helmut Marco, who you I remember you came back and were just like, well, I've never seen him so happy. Did, <laughs> I did told he, him that. Did, he, did, he, did Helmut Marco <laughs> grab you in the paddock and mistake you for Daniel Hunkadella? No, he I, hasn't done that. He didn't ask you to explain why he crashed it. Into no, he, that one time. <laughs> yeah, he did the one of the. It must have been my first meeting with him in the Brazilian Grand Prix paddock. After Friday practice in 2014, I went, walked past him and just, it was one of those, you know, paddock acknowledgement nods that you do with people that you've spoken to. Uh, and he came up to me and said, what happened? And I said, what, what do you mean what happened? He went, with the crash. Of course, Daniel Yunkadel had crashed the Force India, I think it was in, in, in no, FP1. Memory serves, yeah. And uh, I said, oh, I think you've got me confused with somebody else. He said, oh, Yes. Daniel Junkadea. <laughs> I said, my hair's a bit longer than his. And he said, oh, but I remember him from the BMW days when he had long hair. You, you, so, do, you do resemble him. That is you, incredible. You're bigger teeth. Allegedly. But uh, certainly Helmut Marco thought so. And the, of course, the, that delighted the autosport team in the office. This is delighting us now. Of this, uh, I mean, to be fair, your, your likeness to Dan, Daniel Junkadea doesn't... It, the autosport podcast doesn't do it justice, really. No, no. Another <laughs> visual treat for the you, listeners. You don't sound like him, that's for sure. Uh no, no, I don't. I'm much less Spanish. But um, yeah, before we digress, there was a question there. Yeah, Marco. There? So I mean, since you know we've we've t- <laughs> relations between us have improved. He now recognises who I am and doesn't accuse me of being somebody I'm not. But yeah, I mean, we're used to seeing him be so frustrated with engine matters. I'm sure he was a massive part of the various fines that Rebel had to pay for slagging off the Renault engine over the past few seasons because he was never short of a sharp comment um, after yet another failure or disappointment but he was all smiles in Barcelona and I said to him I've never seen you so happy and he said well we've never done so much mileage so the the baseline package that Red Bull Honda have is absolutely has met expectations at the very least probably exceeded them now we just wait to see how Honda manages the development curve through the season how it manages the strategy of lifing parts and swapping bits and bringing in updates other engines use of settings the pressure's on this year you know they had they've had a year of grace really with Toro Rosso they wouldn't acknowledge it 
publicly but they have you know they've been able to work lower down the grid maybe slip a few changes or grid penalties in unnoticed without really any consequence that isn't going to happen this year Red Bull because we know the gap between the top three teams and the rest is so big still even though it may have closed up slightly as a result of the new regulations or the approach to the new regulations they are going to be a top six prospect at every track possibly podium possibly win contenders there's nowhere to hide there and every little thing they do will once again as it was in the mclaren honda days where expectations were so high is going to be absolutely scrutinized to the nth degree and how honda maintains its calm and its focus and proper procedure through that situation is going to be key the encouraging thing from red bull's side uh, is what verstappen was saying is that what they haven't had before is an engine manufacturer that says it's going to produce something and then doesn't do it. And they they said that Honda has given them everything that they said that they were going to give them for pre-season. So that's a that's an early box ticked. Um, and no just, shonky oil tanks. No, 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 no. Fundamentals uh, missing. This very, time. very different story to what McLaren was promised the last time we went into a season being told that that Honda was going to be powering a race-winning car. Um, but the other thing that Verstappen's been impressed by is the sort of calm and focus with the way that Honda have been working. And that was something that definitely, was the, the the change in mentality and working philosophy last year, that was a big thing that, that crept in. Everything was much more disciplined. Everything was much more organised. Updates were, were brought to the track when they knew that they would work. The only one that was brought slightly ahead of when it was ready was the 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 final uh, performance upgrade at the end of the year in Russia because it didn't end up running but that was because they'd they'd fallen I think ever so slightly behind on on development and they wanted to get it out in Russia so to make sure that the race they really wanted it for which was the home race in Japan a week later was working so that wasn't that in itself you don't want to go there with a GP2 engine do you no exactly but that wasn't not to sound like a bit of an apologist on their behalf that wasn't strictly them sort of failing to meet a deadline it was more them introducing a slightly earlier failure to protect against a bigger one that would be more costly and you're ben you're right when when you say that they had opportunities last year to slip in changes and stuff like that without it being too much of a consequence that there will be bigger consequences this year but i think both red bull and honda even though at this stage of the season um, or at this stage of pre-season, they're talking about, um, obviously the intention is to go through the year without using any more components, but... It's not going to happen, No, though, it, is it? it isn't, absolutely not. If I was if I was going to take a, an educated guess, I would suggest that they'll have a new engine for either Spain or Monaco. The argument for doing it in Spain would be to make sure everything's fine for Monaco. But that Also, would... that's a good track for Red Bull because of the aerodependency as well. Yeah, so I reckon engine two will be introduce a race five or six and then that means you're putting yourself on course for engine three for around uh race 10 maybe and with 21 races in the season i reckon it will be at that point when engine three comes in i reckon that will be their big reliability step that will be the spec of engine that's then capable of doing six full grand prix weekends or 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 what what you need effectively to to then do a full season so it'd be great to see that happen if it does indeed happen i think the big test for the red bull honda partnership it's all very well sunshine and smiles now and there's a certain honeymoon period verstappen obviously is excited said he couldn't sleep before the first test but it's almost anything's better than renault for red bull at the moment and you know they are it seems emphatically no worse off but the tension will come when or if things deviate you know, if things start to go wrong or Honda goes down a blind alley or 
someone reliability creeps in or a performance upgrade doesn't work and then Red Bull misses out on opportunities or some of these things compound, that's where the true strength of your partnership lies. If they can stay together and and strong through the bad times in a way that McLaren and Honda couldn't, then there's a true sign that this partnership could be built to last. But if not, then it could be the kind of same cycle we've seen for both McLaren and Honda and Red Bull and Renault repeated all over again. Well, it's a little bit like we've got Ferrari, but it, it, instead of personnel, it's it's two companies. Because at Ferrari, you've got a situation where Mattia Bonotto is reaping the rewards for just not being the person that was there before. That's ultimately what's happened at the moment. And it's the same with Honda. Just because they're not Renault, they've already got a lot more goodwill. Yes. But like Bonotto and Ferrari's biggest challenges are, are, are yet to come. They haven't even started yet. It's going to be the same for Red Bull Honda. There are going to be massive tests that they need to pass to prove to Red Bull that they're a winning bet, not just this year, but in the future. Because ultimately the odd victory this year isn't any better than Red Bull Renault had last season and Red Bull has picked Honda because it wants to fight for world titles again. Well, I'm expecting Red Bull Honda to get a breakthrough win this year and be a similar level to Red Bull last year. Is anyone going to argue with that? No, I think that's about the right title push maybe. I think you're spot on. Maybe next year. Now, we know all about how good Max Verstappen is. I think he came a lot last year. He learned that he didn't have to be at 101% all the time. He could be at a much more mathematically, dad, he? Yeah, he could be a much more mathematically <laughs> realistic 99% and still be quicker than everyone. The interesting question there is how he responds to because he's probably half hoping for a championship push at this stage, but how he responds to to this. I think if he sees the progress for next year, he'll be thinking, yeah, 2020 I can go for the go for the title. But also we've got Pierre Gasly moving up from Toro Rosso. And a tough ask for Gasly. Pre-season wasn't the easiest for him. So what are we expecting from these two drivers? Well, the key for Verstappen, I think, is how much better the Honda engine is compared to last year's Renault engine. Because Verstappen is essentially rooted much of his struggle, if we like, over the last year. The overdriving, the incidents, all the things that have caused us to question a little bit his ultimate standing and his potential slightly and certainly have have landed him in hot water with his rivals in the FIA squarely at the door of the Renault engine being so far off the Mercedes and Ferrari that he's had to try and make up the deficit with risky moves and risky bits of driving so if the Honda gives him that little bit more leeway to drive at 99.5% or 95% depending on where it slots in then he could be in for a fantastic season if it's no better, relatively speaking, then we could be in for some of more of the same at certain places. Obviously, there will be tracks where Red Bull are relatively much stronger and therefore he won't have to try so hard. But some of the other races where he's starting fifth or sixth knows his only chance to get on the podium is to do everything on a Banzai first lap it will lead to more trouble, won't it? And I, I think he will care so little about what the external world thinks of him that he'll do whatever he feels he needs to do in the moment whether it's good or bad Gasly he needs just to be careful that he doesn't fall into some kind of Verstappen whirlpool and he gets sucked into a world of trying to match him too quickly measure himself against him too hard and too soon because that has become almost by default very much for Stappen's team. Like he's the guy now with the experience, even though he's younger than Pierre, Christian Horner's saying, well, he's the reference point now. He's the guy who's got to do the leadership and and lead the development of the car. 
So Gasly kind of has to accept that, I think, not go in there with too many expectations, not trying to be the big dog too early and just build himself up, use a, a period of grace to climatise properly, not repeat the mistakes we saw in pre-season testing. That will be crucial. And then just deliver the odd heroic drive, kind of like we saw last year in the Toro Rosso. What Gasly can't afford to do is treat this as, oh, I finally got my, my big shot. Now I need to make the most of it immediately, straight out of the blocks, because Correct. he is up against the driver who, if I, if I ever had the pleasure of being good enough to race in F1, Verstappen is the last person I would want on the other side of the, of, of the garage, because he's probably the quickest driver over one lap. He's re- One thing I don't think he gets enough credit for is he's absolutely superb with the tyres, his race management when he's in the zone is phenomenally good. They did a lot of work on that at Toro Rosso for his first season in 15, him and Carlos Sainz, knowing that they had two rookie drivers, which is unusual for Toro Rosso. Normally they have one experienced driver and one rookie is the way the Red Bull driver scheme works. But this time they had two complete newcomers. They focused all of their winter testing efforts on tyres, tyre management, at a time when the Pirellis were particularly sensitive. And I think Verstappen took a lot from that and has been able to use that to great effect during the during his career at Red Bull so far. No, I absolutely agree. And then the other element which is sort of is sort of on track but it, it's mostly off track is the Verstappen factor at Red Bull. The way Max and to an extent I guess Yoss as well, the way they can play the game politically off the off the track is they know what their value is to Red Bull. So what Gasly can't afford to do, especially if he can't match Max straight away or even until the second half of the season and even then what he can't afford to do is sort of get in a position where he's beginning to alienate himself within the team I, and and I really like Pierre he's 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 a very very nice guy so I, I can't imagine that he would um, knowingly manage to infuriate anyone within the team but if he starts to he, he's also quite a, a, an emotional character and if he starts to sort of question things within the team like we know oh, that's a massive no-no for yeah. him isn't it like Horner has said he, they've promoted him ideally a year too early because of circumstances you know they wanted to keep Ricardo they would have had Science as a backstop against that but obviously relations soured there and Science was doing his own thing so Gasly wasn't really meant to have this drive under any kind of plan that Red Bull had only as a essentially a last resort so he needs to kind of see it for what it is and think, well, this is a bonus that I'm in a Red Bull Honda this year. I should really be in a Toro Rosso Honda still and just keep everything on the DL nice and chilled. Don't try too hard. Don't annoy anybody unduly. The big concern that Gasly's got is those two accidents in testing were connected to the fact that he's starting to have a little bit of... He was having a little bit of trouble kind of adapting to the Red Bull and able to be as confident in the car because it's a little bit more on edge than what he's had before. He's a very aggressive driver, Gassi. That impressed me last year because he was able to be attacking right from the off but without making mistakes if you watched him in FP1. Maybe... Time, doesn't it? You, yeah, have, to get, you have to get familiar with the car. That's exactly, the thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Stappen had this with when he joined Red Bull. Yeah. He joined for race five, didn't he, in 2016. And basically, he had to take Ricardo's setup for most of the season because everything is just not quite how you would like it as a driver it takes time for you to ingratiate yourself with the people communicate what you want work out what you need work out how you can get what you need if you try too hard too soon you get yourself into trouble that's why he needs to take that taking his time approach and just say well i'll just play myself in a bit you can't afford to get stuck in that mode forever but just try and not be try and not work against the car work with the car and 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 play your play yourself in but it's 
yeah, it's it's going to be difficult because every time you step up a level as a driver, whether it's from categories or whether it's within Formula One teams, it's a newer, harder test under more pressure. So this is what he's got to deal with, that intense pressure on him to deliver. Now he knows he's got the chance. Given how much Verstappen raised his game with Ricardo alongside him, you could there is an argument that having Gasly alongside him this year, someone who's, if he's sensible, is going to bed himself into the team, he's going to sort of take the edge away that we saw Verstappen build up because he had to be so so good to establish the advantage that we saw he had over Ricardo last season but what I I think the motivation that he's got because of the new Honda partnership the fact as you talked about Ben he maybe he won't have to fight for every single hundredth of a second through every single corner of every single lap which is what he was was telling me and the fact that he also seems to be a bit more mature when you know I, I've not had the I've not had the pleasure of have, uh, sitting down with him one to one before, but I did have that chance during preseason. And what I was really impressed by is he just seems he seems very relaxed, but he also seems a lot happier to to understand what his role in the team is. Uh, and I know Marco said uh, he did a TV interview uh, during testing where he said like they've not seen Verstappen this sort of focused during pre-season before and he does seem to be more mature and I and I asked him sort of why what is that what is this sort of supposed new pre-season attitude you've got and he said like I'm just happy like I'm just excited and I think he's it it sounds like an obvious thing for us to talk about but as you said he, Max is still shockingly young and I think it's taken him a bit of time for him to work out exactly what role he can play within a team so he's maybe, make- maybe. I don't know I I'm wary of going down this road of, you know, Verstappen was immature and now he's found more maturity because I remember speaking to Marco Atal when they first hired him and one of the big plus points about Verstappen, according to Marco, was his maturity. He said, I met him at age 16 and he came across as though he was 25 years old. So I think Verstappen has always been quite mature for his age, but he's been very calculating in the way he's done things i think he he's always known what he's doing he's very rarely emotionally reactive he might sound emotional in the car but he's very in control of what he's doing he's doing things for effect to get what he wants maybe he's run aground in terms of maybe not being politically astute in certain situations and of course it's easy for him to be happy now because it's the the wonder of the new isn't it it's no longer renault he he's felt that he'd have been winning many more races maybe even fighting for championships if it weren't for a rubbish Renault engine in the back of the Red Bulls he's been driving. And now he feels like potentially he might have something that can take him to the next level. So, of course, he'd be happy. And, of course, he'd he'd be happy with the team and look, you know, be happy to, to say the right thing on camera because he's got what he wants. I agree that you can't have it both ways. He can't say when everyone was questioning whether he was ready to come into F1, oh, no, he's really mature for his age, so it's great. And they'll say, oh, well, I think he's um, he maybe was a bit immature before before but maturity is not binary you're not either mature enough or not mature enough he there would have been elements of his character that meant as a 17 year old he could cope with that but there were other things especially that we saw last year things like a complete inability at times last year to own up to his own mistakes how long did it take him to actually accept that he did change his approach we had to have a chat with his dad didn't he well exactly his dad is the is a key part of the Verstappen dynamic really I, I get the sense that well, because this is how they've gone racing since day dot, it's very much a father and son project, isn't it? You know, they did karting together. Joss was right behind that, doing engines for him, running the karts. Even in Formula 3, they were heavily involved in operating that car within Van Amersfoort, 
Ross was, has always been a power behind Max. So I think he's the key guy that Max listens to when all the noise uh, builds around Formula One and people start criticising you. Max has dug in, I think, until Yoss has said, look, on this thing, you just need to dial it back a bit. Just chill out a bit and you'll be fine. And then he changes. So I think the key to Max doing things differently is always what his dad thinks because that's the way they've always done things. I don't think he'll be a transformative Verstappen attitude this year by any means. I think the way he's able to analyse things, break stuff down, work methodically and be so metronomic in, like I said, race management and stuff like that. Like that is, He has already been operating to an incredibly high level. I just think from the little bits I saw and heard from him in pre-season, from what Horner and Marco were sort of saying behind, about what they've seen as well, I just think he's just unlocked that little bit more that just means that it's just a bit more complete. I think it's just whatever was missing before, I don't think, I think might not be missing for, for much longer. He's probably just relaxed into it a little bit, hasn't he? You know, that's the thing when you're new and perhaps you, well, don't feel you do have a disadvantage, then there's pressure on yourself to maybe try that bit too hard to prove that you're better than you look whereas perhaps he's finally realized oh actually you know, i'm i'm good enough i don't need to worry about that i can just take it as it comes and then that just gives him that little bit of extra capacity to to deliver more consistently and maybe not get himself into such hot water but we'll see well with three teams and six drivers down that's the end of part two we'll be back in part three to look at the rest of the field well, we've got seven more teams to look at now. The the Class B battle seems to be as tight as ever, Ben, maybe even Unofficial more Class exactly, B. Exactly, yeah, exactly. We always like following Class B. I mean, who's your tip to start the season strong in Melbourne, and who's who's going to be the Class B leader come the end of the year? I think it's incredibly close between uh, the Works Renault team and Haas, based on what we saw in winter testing, but I'm just going to edge Haas ahead of Renault at this stage. I just feel that given that car takes so much of its baseline from the Ferrari package, looked so good out on track, started last season incredibly strongly and should have been and were really by rights the fourth best team. and Certainly the fourth fastest car. Exactly, and you know, but for those pit stop blunders would have backed it up with the results. I think everything is aligned for them to start the season really strongly in Melbourne, but I think Renault will push them hard. I just... Given that car was late and, or not late, sorry, but it was close to being late um, and they were short on parts and had to drive quite conservatively, it's very difficult to know exactly where that package stands. And I just think, as Haas have done since really they've been in Formula 1, they start strong and that's what I expect from them in Melbourne too. And that means then that it will take all of about six hours before we get the first accusations of it being a Ferrari B car and... Ferrari copy. Yeah, all of those. Um, yeah, those always kick off, don't they? I I understand the arguments and the logic for Haas. They did look very good in preseason testing, but I'm gonna even though even though I'm I wanted to change my mind after preseason, after um, especially after speaking to friend of Autosport, Karin Chandok, who found a particularly quick Haas lap, didn't he? Was it a Grosjean lap? Ed? Yeah, it was a good C3 compound lap. Um, very representative it's, 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 for Barcelona. It's, it's clearly it's clearly very fast Arsenal. Yeah. Position. So I saw that. I understand. You know. I chatted to a few people and I was sort of thinking yeah maybe but I'm going to stick to my guns after my gut feeling at the end of pre-season testing and I just think that the Renault works team has so much sort of in its locker that I just I, th- I think I think it will just about be at the head of the midfield I still think operationally Haas has a few question marks over it and 
they're not the best at maximising their package all the time. So Grosjean will do a, a Q2 special, though, won't he, to get into Q3. Oh, and then chunt at the first corner or something well, like that. No, I, I just well, he, was, he was 16 times in Q3 last year, which is yeah. more than any other midfield driver. Oh, I, just think, I, just think, yeah. I just think the hassle as a baseline package, especially a bumpy street circuit, it would just have that extra bit of compliance well, well, you need to get a bit more out of the car. Is the Re- Renault has struggled with that. But there's, there's sort of two different rules. two different debates here, isn't there? There's who's going to be strong in Melbourne. I think we probably all expect Haas, and then as the season goes on, because oh, the thing that, is, yeah, that's a different question. Ultimately, yeah. Renault's got the resources it needs to be. There were, there were limitations on them in testing. They were tight on parts. You know, that DRS rear wing problem with with Ricardo. They had some brake cooling issues. They were they were having to work yeah. around. So, so I think Haas will sh- start stronger. I, I don't and then really. I just Renault think- should. Yeah, I just think Renault cannot afford not to not to win the midfield even and win comfortably. Yeah. If, if they win the midfield late, like they did last year, that's almost not good enough. Really, well, it's a regression, and that's what you, they can't. When the whole point of this project is to get closer to the top three, unless for whatever reason they slump to fifth, but are somehow closer to the top three and exceed their points haul from last year or anything. That is that's the only kind of weird mitigating circumstance where you they could say, it's Okay, we've fallen back, but yeah. it's better. I think um just very quickly on uh qualifying in Melbourne and uh, a Grosjean special, I also I do think that I, I think Renault can lean on Ricardo for a bit of that. Home circuit, first race of his new team. So I think there'll be an element of Ricardo pulling something out of the bag, but I'm willing to concede that Haas will be quickest and let you win that war if you side with me that Renault will probably do the business over the course of the season. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. A but gentleman's I think, agreement. I think that Renault absolutely have to do that. If Renault have a lot in the bag that we haven't seen and they start the season clearly the fourth best, then that's, a, that's the kind of baseline they really should be looking for. And then it's all about just kicking on to trying to catch the top three. Really, they should exist in a no-man's land between the two. And I think... the. F- I think the fact that I'm saying they're probably going to start behind that suggests that maybe they're already not quite on track. But let, let's see. I have a question for podcast host Ed Straw. Why do you think Alfa Romeo, which everyone was sort of talking up excitedly in the first test, as might even be best of the rest, why do you think they've sort of slumped? Because neither me nor Ben jumped at the opportunity to say Alpha. What 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 do you reckon? The, the Alpha look very good straight out of the box, and it's certainly it's certainly in that midfield group. There's basically it's next, I think, isn't it? Yeah, there's basically six teams in there, so it's Renault, Haas, Alpha, McLaren, Toro Rosso, Racing Point. Not necessarily in that order. I think we probably saw Alpha closer to their potential quicker. If you see what I mean. I was a little bit, I was even in the first test starting to be a little bit suspicious, seeing a little bit of a rear limitation on the car and just thinking, yeah, it's there, but it's a bit unstable at the rear, which you have seen from that team in the past. I feel like they've got, they've got a very decent car to start with, but it needs a little bit more work before we can get to that preeminent in the midfield, uh, in the midfield, uh, area. And of course, they've got Kimi Raikkonen there, who's got, you know, vastly experienced alongside. And we'll like that handling trait. Exactly. Yeah. Likely. I mean, he, he, it means the car should, uh, should turn in quite nicely. The thing is, though, we are still there talking about very small amounts. It won't take much. We saw how well that team at Sauber last year developed. And that's going to be interesting to see how, how they do this year, whether they can get themselves. Because if you find yourself a few tenths relative to the rest, that's enough to move you to the to the front of that pack. I think I think Alpha will be strong, but I don't think... I'd, I'd be they surprised. won't necessarily start strong. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be very, very surprised unless they've got a significant upgrade package if they suddenly turned up at Melbourne and they're right at the front of that group. Yeah. But I think they could be 
they should be hopefully still on the edge of Q3 and then then it becomes a big question, doesn't it? Because obviously the question with Raikkonen is if he does what he did last year and he quite often in qualifying make a little crucial mistake here and there, rather than costing him a place or two, that, that could cost you three three rows in this midfield pack. So yeah, that's an interesting thing to follow. If I if I can reprise your terrible joke pun play on words from part two of this podcast, Ed, um I wonder if for for Melbourne, certainly, if the uh if the, the dark Rosso in the pack is someone oh, like Daniel. God. Yeah, I know that was even that was that was the almost that was worse than yours. I think that was more tortured. If you'd know, if you'd known what even uh, Codders wouldn't be proud of that. Yeah, if you'd known what Italian was for dark, that might have sounded a bit. Yeah, exactly. And also called it a dark Toro instead of a dark Rosso. Um, so all in all, in all, terrible effort from me. But I I quite like the Toro Rosso in preseason. And while I think Alex Albon is going to be on the uh, certainly on the uh, side of caution rather than the side of Pierre Gasly when it comes to how close he's willing to go to the limits early on, I I quite fancy Daniel Kvyat to to have a bit of a go. Um, he's got quite a lot to prove this season. We know how quick he is, especially over one lap. And the um, what are they on now? The STR fifteen. That car has some Red Bull bits on it. Uh, Fourteen, isn't it? Aren't they a year behind? Are oh, you going to make me count? They started in two thousand six. It's just so it's the RB fifteen, isn't it? So it must be no, the four. STR fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Okay, STR four. Well, They're always one behind Red Bull. Okay. Um, I I think that that car and package looks quite tidy. They they certainly showed flashes of proper pace in pre-season the big question mark is whether they maybe turned things up a bit closer to 11 than their midfield they, rivals they definitely did some work on the Honda Quali mode that's, I think that, that's I, for sure there was one stunningly fast Alban lap which was on it was on one of the slower tyre compounds not the quickest one but it, so it they was were a sneak, bit sneaking it, in a it, bit of it was a, work it was a stealth Quali mode test I think the Toro Rosso's good I just look at it on track and think you just need a little bit more downforce to get up with the yeah. other guys. But I'm expecting yeah. Toro Rosso because they did lose a bit of time in development over winter. I'm expecting them, their performance profile over the season to be better as you go through the season. I'd be surprised if they can do... You sort of feel like they're going to be a long shot for Q3 in Melbourne. They start at the head of the second group of the midfield, don't they? Really, Probably, I, think, I think we've yeah. seen much closer to their limit of performance. And as you say, yeah, they lack overall downforce well you've got this strange thing because Toro Rosso and Racing Point are both in similar positions we know that Racing Point are starting from a lower level than they'd want to but are going to keep upgrading the car we've seen that team as Force India do it before so those those two teams I'm expecting I'm expecting to get stronger McLaren we still don't really know what they're doing they they're in the midfield pack I wasn't completely convinced by the car but a rear stability but again you don't know what we're going to see from the come Melbourne it wouldn't take much a few tenths here and there can make the difference between falling in Q1 and being on the edge of Q3. But no, but no doubt all of those three teams, McLaren, Racing Point and Torosso, need an update package to thrust themselves into that group but of they three feel the like front they, of the They're class B2 properly. at the moment. Yes. Yeah, not yes. quite class C. There's one team in class C at the moment, isn't there? But uh, <laughs> Quite clearly, <laughs> but, yes. But I think what we saw from testing, there was... Everyone's saying that the midfield is tighter than ever, but... I. I I do think there is a there is a gap of sorts, split, isn't there, yeah. between between the two of them? And Racing Point's the one that really surprised me because we kept being told that obviously their newfound investment meant that they were in such a strong position at the start of 2019. Certainly, stronger than they've been in recent years. But and I know that we were told by their technical director Andrew Green that it would be a vanilla car in in testing. And I've used that phrase so much because I thought it was just a really good description that Green used with a then an aggressive development program from Melbourne onwards and. If any of that trio 
especially given what McLaren have done in the last couple of years, is capable of bolting on an upgrade package for a race and it working immediately. I would bank on Racing Point doing it because the former yeah. Force India squad is so good at validation and, and bang for buck. What they bring to the track almost, it works a lot more than it doesn't, does it? So I, I think yeah. if any of those three, I know I said Toro Rosso, might be a bit of a dark horse but that's because you we know dark rosso didn't yeah, you yeah <laughs> but that's because we know that's because we know that the what the potential of that package is so if they get everything right and maybe someone slips they could get there of the other two i i fancy racing point to get closer to the top 10 than mclaren in australia if if they built on an update yes i think they've got the most potential to break th- three of class b2 shall we say i think racing point are the ones who i would expect to get have a good chance of getting into the hunt for fourth in the constructors yeah well they should do shouldn't I, I they think, that, is, they that is their level they've done the it before and that's a natural level yeah. they, i mean they've got the new they've got the new money coming in but there were decisions made on the car that were made before they knew what their circumstances were like they've got the 18 Merc box and they've got their own they, the 18 rear suspension that they use so it's a bit like it's, 2015 it's not, isn't it not quite yeah, as extreme yeah. but when they started the year pre-season testing with an old car just yeah. to run the new engine but and they were so late with things. And then you saw they started the season a bit slowly, not qu- qualifying kind of back end of Q2, but scoring points because they're such a excellent racing operation. And then once they started bolting upgrades onto the real car, they just got stronger and stronger. And that's exactly what you'd expect to see this year. But it's going to be a great battle because you've got those half dozen teams in there, 12 drivers, and, and it could be a you know really spectacular season for that. Absolutely. Much, you know, if McLaren come with a big upgrade package that, that boots them four tenths up the up the road. It makes a makes a huge difference. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch that. But I think what we are sure of is they are again a step back from the top three. Even if they are closer than they were, there's still the kind of gap between the, the haves and the have nots. But there's lots of teams with interesting stories there. Uh, that's going to make that a, a really good subplot. I guess we should briefly talk about Class C uh, Williams. The FW42, of course, was late and slow in testing, which is never a, a good combination. I guess if you're going to be slow, you you might be late. But, <laughs> yeah, Scott, I mean, William's in a state of flux. We heard last week that, that Paddy Lowe would, had, uh, had, he was off, off. Taking off, a leave of absence. A leave of absence, that was the phrase I was trying to find for, for personal reasons. But obviously, they've decided he's not the guy, technically, to, to lead them. So, it's... it's what is this just a year basically now a write-off for Williams in terms of what it can do on track given that the gap they had to the front um it's difficult to call it a complete write-off because everything they do this year I mean I know they said this last year as well but it's going to be massive now that Lowe's not around it's going to be a massively important year for them to work out what the hell is going on and on track validation of the progress they thought they were making with this year's car is going to be important um They've had quite a few setbacks, um, obviously being late to the start of testing. Um, but there is also, obviously, uh, the fact that it was then slow. Robert Kubitzer, I think, said he only knows 20% of what he needs to know for his big comeback. George Russell, F- uh, the F2 champion, but F1 rookie, says that they're definitely slowest. And the team have also had to modify the um, the, the the wing mirrors and uh, part of the front suspension as well because the, un- the FAA were unhappy with their solution. Um, it'd probably be a bit unfair to phrase them as illegal, because obviously there haven't been any checks or anything like that. So well, Kubica you- said the, the mirrors were useless, didn't he? You don't, you don't make the bits if you don't think they're going to be legal. Though. 
We'll put it under the heading of things that are bad for Williams rather than illegal. Yeah, absolutely. So they thought their design was within the interpretation of the rules. Um, They needed to make sure the FOI agree. They didn't, so Williams is modifying it. Kicking a team when they're down. Yeah, exactly. So it's just going from bad to worse for Williams, isn't it? Uh, I don't think you could have scripted a more damaging start to the season for them. Every single thing that could go wrong has gone wrong, and probably more. There's no way they would have feared this. This was meant to be the start of the rebuild. This was meant to be the lessons learned and everything that was so bad being put to bed and then and building something new, a, a proper concept that Paddy Lowe had overseen and finally all the, the brilliance and the, the success of his F1 career up to date now finally bearing fruit at Williams and sparking this glorious revival. And it's not so much had a false start as it's the broken down and everyone else is at the first corner, isn't it? It's a, it's a nightmare. I mean, Ben, you, you must have... Um, would would you have been around when um, Force India missed the start of testing? They were late. Was it twenty fifteen? They missed the first week. Is that right? They started with an old car, didn't they? I think they did miss. Yeah, it was an early decision. They came, though, they came to me. Yes, it was. So uh, the reason I asked it was much less chaotic than this situation. Well, this is what I was going to ask because that's evidence of the fact that just because you have that slow start effectively with a new car, it doesn't have to torpedo your season. But I'm guessing you don't think this is quite as. Uh, optimistic an opportunity for Williams as it was for them well, you, no, can t- you can turn no. up late but don't turn up with a car that's miles off the back well exactly <laughs> yeah if you're gonna if you need that extra time then you want to make sure it's put to good use this is what Force India has done knowing that the money's not there necessarily when you need it to do certain things they've planned around okay well we can't have the car we want at let's say testing week two but we can get the car we want for race three in China if we take a hit earlier in the program and they've just structured it whereas it seems like Williams were planning to hit week one of testing and crack on they didn't unexpectedly and you're just chasing your tail after that aren't you and that's in a context of a team that's got stuck in a kind of spiral of decline really since that strong 2014 season first run under the v6 hybrid engine rules aerodynamically they've been weak for a number of seasons that's part of the reason that former technical director Pat Simmons got frustrated while he was working there you know, new broom has swept through, Paddy Lowe's in with all of his Mercedes title winning experience. Dirk De Beer from Ferrari was hired as a top aero recruit. But there's been more of a revolving door in that team. De Beer's gone, now Paddy Lowe's gone. Other people within the engineering and team structure have gone in the interim. There's no stability. Uh, there's no um, performance in the car. It looks bad on track. It looks undercooked. The drivers look unhappy. Uh, they're going to be off the back. So they're not going to be scoring points. That's going to affect their chances of securing more sponsors and more prize money and better investment for the future. It's just really, really difficult to see a positive in the Williams story at the moment, which is very sad. It certainly harpoons the uh, feel-good story that is Robert Kubica's comeback. Well, he looks massively frustrated, doesn't he? Yeah. As a guy who's obviously gone through hell and it's heroic that he's making a proper racing comeback in Formula 1 at all but once he's got that seat clearly his mind has shifted into full-on racing driver mode and he's there to do as well as he can and get the best results possible and I'm sure he's looking at that car thinking oh this is this is the worst possible thing I could be getting into well, there's plenty more we could have talked about, about the midfield battle and the battle at the back, but we're going to have to move on. Some of us have got flights to catch to, to Melbourne, after all. Um, before we uh, before we finish, quick short answers here. Driver's champion, Ben? Put me on the spot. Yeah. 
That's I'm gonna I'm gonna go Lewis Hamilton. Scott. Sebastian Vettel. For the sake of variety, if nothing else. I'm going I'm gonna go Lewis Hamilton. Constructors Not champions. Bottas, not evil Bottas. No, not Bottas. Constructors champion, man. Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari. I'm going to say just think they're gonna start behind, but you've just got to go with the trend of the past few years, although I think it'd be great for Formula One if Ferrari did do well. And and finally the not necessarily the best place, but the standout rookie. We've got Giovinazzi, yes, two races, but still a rookie. Alexander Alban at Toro Rosso, uh, Lando Norris at McLaren, and George Russell at Williams. All right, the driver I'm expecting to see the most from, but will probably be the least obvious in terms of tracking his progress, George Russell. I think uh, I think Alex Albon, because I think he's in the car that can arguably produce the best result. And That's I think certain. so few people are expecting anything from him. I reckon he'll grab this opportunity with both hands. Yeah, very much so. It's a good group. I'm quite interested to see what Lando Norris can do. I think he's got a tough ask with what he's doing, but he's a, he's a driver that's got, got good speed. If he, can, if he can have a good rounded season. He's got a tough test up against Science, I think. Yeah, Science is a clever team. driver, but he's, he's, it is a beatable driver. So, uh, yeah, let's see. Well, as I say, we'll be heading to Australia while myself and, and Scott will be uh, will be on the flight to Melbourne, possibly even while you're listening to this. Do head to autosport.com where we'll have all the news from the Melbourne paddock and also the rest of the world of motorsport. Have a look at our plus subscriber area where for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalists on all sorts of in-depth topics. Check out sister titles motorsport.com, Motorsport News, out every Wednesday, and F1 Racing Magazine, currently the season preview issue with Sebastian Vettel and a Ferrari on the cover. And if you fancy a flutter on what happens in the first race of the season, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Well, as I say, we'll be heading to Australia where myself and Scott will be, uh, will be on the flight to Melbourne, even while you're listening to this. Do head to autosport.com where we'll have a review subscriber. journalists on all sorts of in-depth topics. Check out sister titles motorsport.com, Motorsport News, out every Wednesday, and F1 Racing Magazine, currently the season preview issue with Sebastian Vettel and a Ferrari on the cover. And if you fancy a flutter on what happens in the first race of the season, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? 
Just stop. This is a 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.